I greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. It is a joy to stand before you. Um, for the past two weeks, we've been blessed to have uh, Mr. Nyoni uh, bring the word to us uh, from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and chapter 12. And what a joy it is to hear, um, to even hear God speak to us through that wisdom book. Um, we usually, um, as, 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 uh, I should say a practice, um, of a, a conviction of our church, go through the Bible book by book. Um, and that is what we do. We, we, we are, uh, passionate about expository preaching, about the Word of God being the center of what we do, the center of our gathering. Um, our desire is that as you go home, um, what will be impressed upon your heart is that I had God speak to me through His Word. Um, we do not have any private premonitions to uh, give to you. We do not have any word that we heard when we were sleeping that we want to give to you. What we want you to hear, what we want you to know is that the word of God speaks to us even today. God communicates in our lives. We are obviously not going to go through book by book for the next coming few weeks. Um, what, I've, what I've really um, seen and what God has impressed upon my heart, um, and, and this might be because um, of how God has been ministering to me. And in my selfishness, I, wanna, I want you to even hear um, what the Word of God has to say in this area. Remember when we were done with First John, I um, took a detour and went to Psalms. And I, I took Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 where we, we looked at uh, Dark Night, uh, Bright Hope. Um, just talking even about the, the subject of depression and, 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 and my impression um, about this time of the lockdown, this time of um, quarantine that we've experienced as a um, as as the people of God, is that most of us, if not all, um, have gone through a period of despair, um, and some are probably still going through that period, and there might be different reasons why we go through that and and uh, my conviction is that the word of god speaks to that isn't that what paul says second timothy chapter 3 verse 16 he says all scripture is breathed out by god and it is profitable that the scripture is profitable to speak to us in the bible god has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness and and what a joy it is to go to God and and to be sure that when we approach God we will hear from him what a joy it is 
So for, 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 for the coming few weeks, I don't know if I should even call it a series. So it's a series that is uh, a series kind of series uh, um, um, that we will be going through. I want us to look at the Psalms of Lament. I want us to cry together as we look to God. I want us to, to learn how to cry as the people of God. So today we're going to look at Psalm 13. We'll look at verse 1 to verse 6. Psalm 13. And uh, my subject for this morning is from despair to hope. From despair to hope. The word despair, when you look at the synonyms, you find that the word despair is a state of being hopelessness or being discouraged or a state of melancholy it is hopelessness and this is what we see with the psalmist here in psalm chapter 13. let us go to the lord in prayer shall we our dear heavenly father our lord and god we draw near to you with heavy hearts, hearts that are filled with discouragement in place of hope, sadness in place of joy, depression in place of encouragement. We pray, Father, that you will be honored as we draw near to your word. You will teach us to cry properly it's even strange, O oh God, to say even those words that to cry properly. Draw us to yourself, minister to our hearts. For the sake of your name and your kingdom, we want to see your glory in our lives, in this world. In the name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, this year, um, for the past few months actually, I've come to be convinced that the world is both a beautiful and an ugly place. Beautiful because it is created by God. Create, he, he created it good and pleasing in his sight. That after creating it, he pronounced a benediction on it, a, a good word over it, saying it is good, it is very good. Remember Mr. Nyoni's sermon on Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, um, it, it comes to mind that God made everything beautiful in his time. That, that, that what God has created is meaningful. It is beautiful. On the other hand, though, it is an ugly world. It is this way because of the fall of man at the beginning. And we feel it today because we have not only inherited the sin of Adam and Eve, but also continue to experience the consequence of that sin in our world, in our lives. We see it with the troubles that, that face us as God's people. We face suffering, sickness, and even death. And that does not even scratch the surface of the various trials each of you face. There's conflict in our relationships. There are struggles with work or lack of work. Some have children with disabilities or, or can't 
have children. Some are lonely, others are anxious and depressed. People wrestle with habitual sin. We, we are all acquainted with grief and, and suffering. When we turn our attention outside the world, the, the, the web of troubles expands even further. That the church around the world is facing opposition and persecution. We heard about Bangladesh, didn't we? Our world is, is plagued by war, by terrorism, injustice, a lack of integrity in leaders, fear, fatherlessness, disease, and poverty. We look around it, and it can be discouraging. Maybe in this troubling world, you have sometimes cried out to God, How long, O Lord? There's a tension between the truths that God is all-powerful and all-loving and the reality that the world is broken. Is God asleep or does he not care? This has been called historically the problem of evil. Many theologians have sought to, to make sense of this tension through apologetics. Apologetics is not the, uh, uh, the, the act of apologizing. Apologetics is the act, of, uh, the, 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 the act of presenting and defending the faith. But as my, as my theology professor was fond of saying, the Bible is not so much concerned with the arrival of evil, it's more concerned with the survival of evil. That the Bible doesn't spend a lot of time logically explaining why God allows suffering. God's people simply cry out, How long, O Lord? That the biblical writers know that God wants, wants simply ask, that God wants simply allow bad things to continue forever. And so people of God simply ask God to set the world to its rights. The Bible's posture is not, in the face of, of, of in the first instance, a theological, um, uh, a theological defense of God in the face of evil. That the Bible's posture in the face of evil is prayer. And don't get me wrong, there's a role for apologetics and explaining the difficulties of life. There's a role for that. We need that. But, but I think the main thing we need to learn is how to pray during difficulties of life. As I said uh, in the introduction, how to cry out to God. Like Jesus' disciples, we need to ask the Lord to teach us to pray. We, we need a God-orientated means of crying out to God. The, the, the Lord's Prayer teaches us how to pray in just a few short lines. But the Psalms provide us a rich lexicon of 150 prayers that teach us how to pray. Dietrich Ben Hoover draws this out very well. He says, how does a child learn to talk? By listening to his parents talk. How do we learn to talk to God? By listening to God talk to us in his word. The, the Psalms are God talking to us because they are God's words. And at the same time, they provide us a pattern for talking to God. They, they don't simply teach us to pray by telling us how to pray. They teach us to pray by showing us how to pray. Athanasius 
says that most of the Bible speaks to us. The Psalms speak for us. When it comes to the trials in life, we, we, we need God to teach us how to pray. And the Psalms do just that. It is without a doubt that the climate of the year has been one of discouragement and despondency. Everyone has been affected one way or another, some more than others. I feel that it is necessary that we learn how to cry out to God. And the best way to do, to do that is by looking at the Psalms of Lament. Today we're going to look at Psalm 13, but let me explain the, the, the Psalms a bit. The book of Psalms is, has different types of Psalms. Right? There are essentially three types of Psalms. In First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 4, we see that David appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke, to thank, and to praise the, the, the Lord, the God of Israel. That the three types of psalms are laid out in this verse that I just read. There are psalms of praise to God. There are psalms that appeal to God. These are otherwise known as, as psalms of petition or psalms of lament. These psalms complain to God about the hardships in life and, and ask God to deliver them from their hardships. And there, there are psalms of thanksgiving that, that, that thank God for his salvation. Walter Brigham Brueggemann uh, renamed these three types of psalms the psalms of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. This is, a, this is similar to, to what John Calvin, who said that the psalms give us the anatomy of all the, of all the parts of the soul. Calvin said that in the psalms, there isn't an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that isn't here represented as in a mirror. In the psalms, the Holy Spirit has uh, 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 the Holy Spirit explains all the griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities. In short, all the distracting emotions with which the human mind is often agitated. The Psalms give us a response to God for every emotion and every season of life. Brigham, Brigham continues to say that the Psalms of orientation speak of the seasons of life that are marked by well-being. They evoke for the uh, they, they evoke gratitude for the blessings of life. They articulate the joy, the delight, goodness, coherence, and the re reliability of God, God's creation, and God's sovereignty. The Psalms of Orientation are the Psalms of Praise. The Psalms of Disorientation speaks of the seasons of life that are marked by hurt, alienation, suffering, and death. They articulate the pain of life, and their speech is full of complaints and harshness. The Psalms of Disorientations or Disorientation are the Psalms of Lament. The, the, the Psalms of reorientation speaks of the seasons of life that are marked by surprise when we are overwhelmed with the new gifts of God, when joy breaks through the despair, when there's, there's, there's been only darkness there's, and, and, and there comes light. These Psalms speak loud, boldly and loudly about a new gift from God, a fresh intrusion that makes all things new. The Psalms of reorientation are the Psalms of thanksgiving. 
You see, when we face hardship in life, we, we need to learn how to pray. We, we, we need to learn how to cast our burdens on the Lord. The, the Psalms of lament or the Psalms of disorientation teach us how to do that. Now think about the context of the psalm. With, with most books of the Bible, it is critical to understand their historical context. If we are going to rightly apply them to our lives. But it's different with the psalms. With, with the psalms, we don't always know the historical context. We, we don't know what is happening, what was happening in the life of the psalmist. They are, they are written to address all the various situations in the lives of all of God's people. They help us to interpret our own experiences of distress and and guide us in our expression of prayer. We know that the experience of the psalmist is the experience of all people to one degree or another. Whatever their historical context was, it applies to our context. Throughout our lives, we are moving moving, um, through the various seasons of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. If we want to learn how to pray to God in the midst of our troubles, we need to learn how to pray the Psalms, specifically the Psalms of Lament. With that said, isn't it amazing how infrequently we pray the Psalms of Lament? Look at most of the worship music that's being written today. It's all the happy clappy, right? We, we always want to be happy. We always want the positive energy as the language of today says we love songs of orientation psalms of praise we love songs of reorientation psalms of thanksgiving and all that's fine and well those songs and prayers are in the bible but why are the psalms of lament largely absent from our songs Burgenham continues to say it's a curious fact that the church has by and large continue to sing songs of orientation in a world increasingly experienced as disorientated. Why are we removed? Where have we removed the psalms of lament from our private devotions? It could be that we simply don't want to be negative. We don't want to acknowledge our experience of disorientation of life. It is my judgment that this action of the church is a frightened, numbed denial and deception that does not want to acknowledge or experience the disorientation of life. Another reason could be that we have bought into the dominant culture that says, just do it. We will love independence and self-sufficiency. We love technology that can fix all of our problems and save us from a world of inconvenience. We, we don't like to admit any shortcomings in our life, and we want to fix all of the shortcomings in the world. Another reason could be that we think that the Psalms of Lament seem to show a lack of faith. Right? Coming to God with a lament, it, it seems that you lack faith. If we really had faith in God, we wouldn't complain, Right? Well, I don't think David or Asaph were men who didn't have faith when they cried out to God in lament. I don't think Jesus lacked faith when he cried out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Whatever the reason, it seems clear to me that we have neglected the Psalms of lament. And we have done so to our disadvantage. The Psalms of Lament provide us with God's pattern of crying out to, to God in our, in our troubles. They teach us how to pray 
when the going gets tough. And they give us the permission to cast all our cares on the God who cares for us. Brueggemann, <laughs> again, is penetrating on this point. I keep quoting him. Um, you will forgive me. Um, he says, it's clear that a church that goes on singing happy songs in the face of raw reality is doing something very different from what the Bible itself does. So in other words, if the Psalms of Lament give us God's pattern on how to pray to God in the midst of our disorientated lives, then we must ask the question, what exactly is the pattern of lament in the Psalms? I'll turn into Psalm 13. While all the Psalms of Lament are unique in their context and structure, they, are all, they all essentially follow the same pattern. The pattern is set out most clearly in Psalm 13. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 13 if you are not there. Or if you're using your phone, switch on your Bibles to Psalm 13. Six verses. I'll read them as we go. I read from the ESV. This is God's word. Let us hear him. To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy says I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. You'll notice that the psalm is divided into three stanzas. Verse 1 and 2 made up the fir- make up the first stanza. Verse 3 and 4 make up the second. And verse 5 and 6 make up the second. These three stanzas give us the basic pattern of all the psalms of lament. If we understand this pattern, we will begin to learn how we can rightly offer our own songs and prayers of lament to God. The, the, the first stanza gives us the protest. Right? We see the psalmist comes and he protests before God. The second stanza there is the petition. He's making a petition uh, um, uh, to God. The third, there is the movement to praise. The movement to praise. All lament psalms follow this basic pattern. Let us look at them. The protest, verse 1 and 2. Here the psalmist cries out four times, How long, O Lord? The, 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 the psalmist feels that his time of hardship will never end. And implied in his repeated refrain is that God should make the pain stop. He, he is protesting here. Look at the first line. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? He, he feels that God has forgotten him. He, he, this doesn't refer to God's lapse in memory. To, to remember here is to act positively toward someone. To forget is the opposite. It is to withhold blessing and comfort. The next line intensifies the lament. How long will you hide your face from me? 
what the psalmist is saying is not he's not saying God is playing hard to get again he is uh, he's using the, the, this hiding your face is a metaphor here when God's face is toward his people his blessing is toward his people when he's not blessing his people his face is hidden in the in the psalmist's pain it feels like God has forgotten him and don't we feel like that oftentimes in the midst of pain and discouragement we feel the, the, the question we want to ask ourselves and sometimes we are even afraid is where is God has God forgotten about me has God deserted me has God hidden his face from me that those are the questions that we ask ourselves isn't it it feels like God's face is hidden from him. And this isn't, this isn't just a bad day that he's having. It feels like God has forgotten him forever. His pain is daily. His trials march on and on without relief. But not only that, the psalmist also cries out, How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? That the psalmist feels so alone that the only one he has to try and help him figure out the pain is himself. The, the, the heavens seem to be barricaded with impenetrable blockade. It shouldn't be this way, God. How long, oh Lord? But not only that, the, the psalmist continues to, to pile on the complaints to God. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? We, we, we don't know who the enemy is here. It could be anyone or anything. It could be sin. It could be sickness. It could be persecution from a literal person or nation. Who the enemy is, isn't the point. The point is that the psalmist is defeated by an enemy of some sort. And he feels like God is going to let the enemy continue to triumph over him. Lament starts with protest before God. It's not technically a lament. You see, to lament is simply to be said that things aren't the way they are supposed to be. The psalmist isn't simply sorrowful. The psalmist is complaining to God. A lament is partly defined by protest, but it is not a lack of faith. We must understand it uh, very carefully. To lament to God does not reflect the fact that you lack faith. Remember that these complaints are directed to God in prayer. Regardless of how shaken the psalmist is, he and God are still on speaking terms. Do you see that? Do you see that? He's still speaking to God. He has not uh, uh, shifted from God. He has not run away from God. He is still running to God. The psalms of lament are psalms of complaint, but they are also prayers of faith. Faith in the midst of despair, difficulty. So we see his protest before God, that though he's protesting, his protest is marked by faith. He is still on speaking terms with God. Then he moves from protest to petition. He's petitioning God. He's asking of God. Verse 3 and 4. This is the petition portion of the psalm where the psalmist presents his request to God. Consider me and answer me, 
O Lord, my God. The psalmist sees the Lord as his God. And in faith, he expects his God to answer his prayer. What is this prayer? Listen to what he says. He says, lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. The Hebrew expression, lift up my eyes, means restore the vigor of life to me. Restore the vigor of life. The psalmist feels defeated, forgotten. This has led him to the brink of despair. He is not in total despair yet, otherwise he wouldn't be praying, but he's on the brink. And he says, lift up my eyes. He wants to be restored to joy and blessing. He doesn't want to sleep the sleep of death. Now, this could be referring to literal death, but it also could be metaphorical. My wife likes a flair of the dramatic. I like the fact that she's outside. She likes the flair of the dramatic. Sometimes she would say, I feel like death. Uh, That could be what the psalmist is saying here. I want you to restore the joy of my salvation. I don't want to sleep into utter depression. But it doesn't leave it at that. He gives God a reason for his request. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Here the psalmist is appealing to God's reputation and glory. God's glory is seen in the salvation of his people. When God's people fall, God's reputation is called into question and people question whether God exists or is powerful. So so the psalmist appeals to God's reputation in his petition. This is typical in Psalms of Lament. He, He wants God's glory and reputation to be seen. He he doesn't want his enemy to triumph over him. As I said, we we, we don't know what the enemy is. Right? It could be sin. He, He doesn't want sin to have the last say and laugh at him while he is down. He wants God to show up. protest petition and lastly praise praise I didn't notice that there's an alliteration there protest petition and praise we know that the Psalms of Lament are prayers of faith because they acknowledge a relationship with God and they make requests to God But we also know that they are prayers of faith because they express trust in God and move towards praise of God. We we, we see this in the the third stanza in verses 5 and 6. This is the praise portion of the psalm. That the psalmist has not been afraid to protest. He has not been afraid to petition God. But he also trusts God. Look at verse 4. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. I have trusted in your steadfast love. 
Martin Luther says that the Psalms of Lament, he says about the Psalms of Lament, hope despairs, and yet hope, and yet despair hopes. The psalmist has moved from despair to hope. He's moved from complaint to confidence. The, the psalmist believes that the covenant God made with his people is trustworthy. He will not ultimately let his people, uh, people's enemies triumph over them. He will deliver his people. He, he, he trusted God's steadfast love. He had hope in God. He goes on to intensify his trust with praise. He says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. The psalmist expects that he will be saved from his enemies. His foes won't rejoice over him. On the contrary, the psalmist will rejoice in God's salvation. He will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The psalmist doesn't necessarily deserve deliverance. That's why he sees God's salvation as a, bountifully, as a bountiful gift of grace. And because God saves by grace, God alone is worthy of glory. From protest to praise. All lament moves from protest to praise. Complaint without confidence is not God, in God is not lament. Protest without praise is not lament. It's just gripping and grumbling. What was wrong with the Israelites who grumbled in the wilderness? They didn't trust God's promises. And they didn't praise God. You will notice the grumbling of the wilderness wanderers isn't in the Psalter, right? We, we, we don't find it in the Psalm. The laments in the psalm all have protest, petition, and trust and praise. Why is it important for us? Well, remember that the psalms give us God's way of responding to the hardships of life. They teach us that our modern neglect of lament is not biblical. But neither is our modern proclivity for complaining, our liking for complaining. There's nothing wrong with complaining to God in faith and with a zeal for God's glory. But that's not what marks most of our complaining, is it? Most people complain about their circumstance, but they don't complain to God. And they don't trust God to fix their problems. They simply complain. You know people like this? You're probably one of the people like that. They are always talking about how hard their life is. Some call it authenticity or just being real. And there's something right about that. But when we complain to others and not to God, we are not lamenting in the biblical sense of the word. And when we don't take our complaints to God, trusting that he will help us and desiring him to get the praise and the glory, we are not lamenting in the biblical sense of the word either. We are simply grumbling. So there are two ditches we are prone to fall in today. On the one hand, we don't cry out to God in our pain. We either think we can fix our own problems on our own and that lament is overly pessimistic. Or we think that people who lament lack faith. And that's the first ditch, isn't it? 
the, the second ditch is to gripe about all of our problems without trust and praise to God. Neither of these responses to the hardships in our lives is biblical. There are ditches we need to avoid. We have many things in this life that are troubling. We, we need to use God's pattern for prayer in our troubles. And that's my sermon in one sentence. The Psalms of Lament provide us with God's way of staying on the road in our pain and sorrow. And listen to what I'm saying. I'm not saying that your pain is coming to an end. It probably is. But I'm saying in the midst of your pain and your sorrow, trust in God. Look to God. Cry out to God. When we did the, the series on James, I mentioned that there are three types of people when we talk about trials. There are people who have been through a trial and have gotten out. There are people who are about to get into trials. There are people that are currently in trial. And let me add the fourth. There are people who are going to stay in trials until the day of their death. I'm not trying to be pessimistic, but I'm trying to say whether we are in trial currently, whether we've been in trial, or whether we're going in trial, or whether we are in a trial where we are experiencing a sickness that cannot be healed. We have a child that is uh, disabled and we're going to suffer for the rest of our lives with him. Trust in God. Look to God. He is our only hope in the midst of despair. We have many things that are troubling us in this life, right? We, we need to use God's pattern of, for prayer in our troubles. As I was saying, they, they teach us to cry out to God and protest for all that's wrong in this world. They teach us to petition God to act for his namesake. And they teach us to trust God and to, to, and to praise him when he delivers us from our troubles. We, we, we need more of this in our personal devotion and prayer time with the Lord. We need more of this in our church as well. And thank God that he has provided us with the Psalms of Lament. That they provide us with the, the, the words we are lacking to address God in, in the troubles of life. Throughout our lives we are moving through the various seasons of orientation, Psalms of Praise, disorientation, lament, and reorientation, thanksgiving. Whether we, we, we do find hope when we are in, 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 in disorientating seasons of life, we find hope in Jesus. Did you know that Jesus also moved through these various seasons? He experienced the eternal glory with the Father, orientation. The humiliation of his incarnation and death, disorientation. And the new life of the resurrection, reorientation. 
It's no surprise then that Jesus prayed the Psalms. He even prayed the Psalms of lament. Right before the Lord's Supper, in John chapter 2, verse 20, uh, chapter 12, verse 27, he said, My soul is troubled. This is quoting Psalm 6. And he was thinking of the cross that he will have to endure for our sins when he, want, he, when he, 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 he went on to say to, to, to his disciples, And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. When he referred to his betrayal, Jesus said, a close friend lifted his heel against me. This is quoted in Psalm 41. And when he was on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is quoted in Psalm 22. When he breathed his last, he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. This is quoted in Psalm 31. You see, the Psalms of Lament are the word of Christ. The only thing that gives us hope in this life of trouble is the fact that Jesus endured the cross and entered his glory. The the events that gave Jesus a troubled heart are the very events that give us the grounds not to have a troubled heart. Did you hear that? Should I repeat myself? The events that gave Jesus a troubled heart are the very same events that encourage and motivate us not to have a troubled heart. So we look to Jesus. We trust Him. We rejoice that even though we might experience hardships in this life, we might experience trouble in this life, there's there's coming a day when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There's coming a day when we will be in his presence. Oh, what a day to think about. And the day when we, we will experience true joy. The day when our hope will be true hope. When we will meet him and see him face to face. What a day when we will be in his presence. What a day it is. We look forward to that day. Because we know that when we cross over in this life, we will not face wrath. We will not face judgment. We will face the loving arms of God. We will draw near to him. And he will welcome us into his presence. He will bring us to himself. What a day it will be. Amen. Our hearts, O Lord, are grieved by the trials that we experience. Help us, O God, to complain in faith, to petition in faith, to protest in faith. Help us to trust you in the midst of the troubles that we experience in life, in the midst of the difficulty. Help us to know that you are God. Your steadfast love will remain forever and that you will hold us fast. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.